Apparently, the NFL now cares about players taking a knee. For the first time ever, independent voters now at number Republicans in California. And of course, Trump's border wall in San Diego. That's what's coming up in this episode of California Streaming. You're listening to the California Streaming Podcast with Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just three conservative friends trying to provide some counterbalance in one of the most liberal states in the union. So hop on our magic choo-choo train to nowhere and let's talk some California politics. What's up, guys? Good evening. Hey, welcome back. It is primary day in California. Mm -hmm. Oh, you dated us here. Yes. Yes. I wonder how it's all going to turn out. I just wonder. I don't know. There is a. There are quite a few things I left blank, honestly. Definitely, because either I didn't know who they were, or I, I didn't care, or there was no even anybody conservative on the ticket. You know. That's yeah. It's, it's just terrible. I mean, we're we're looking at especially the, the race for the senator. I, either, I didn't realize we had like thirty something people running for governor. That's the thing. It either <laughs> seemed like the 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 category had no one I wanted to vote for, or. I have no clue how I'm going to find out about any of these people because there's so many. Right. Yeah. There was no in between. Way too many people. Well, unfortunately, I, it's also pretty much guaranteed how this is going to happen. It's going to be Feinstein. It's going to be Feinstein and maybe another Democrat. Who that Democrat's going to be, I don't know. Yeah. But we can only surmise it's probably going to be Deleon. And that is very scary. Well, that... That's the candidate that she has had to move to the left for, right? Right. Because he's basically pulling her to the left versus her stances over the last 20 years. Oh, sure. I mean, this guy, uh, this guy invented uh, stupidity in California, uh, he, or at least he's mastered it. I don't know what's wrong with this guy, but uh, he'll, be in, uh, he'll be in the full limelight going forward, and we'll just have to deal with it when we get to it. Yeah. But I want to take a moment. And I want to take a knee. Ooh. I want to protest something. What that something is, I have no idea what it is, but I want to protest. And the reason why is because the NFL came out with a new, new standard of how to deal with taking a knee in the NFL. And I just want to take a moment and I want to explain to everybody what these stupid rules are. So uh, all teams in the league, personnel on the field shall stand and show respect for the flag. The game operations manual will be revised to remove the requirement that all players be on the field for the anthem. Personnel who choose to not to stand for the anthem may stay in the locker room. The club, a club will be fined by the league should anybody take a knee. Each club may develop its own work rules, and the commissioner will, of course, impose the rules as they are written down. So essentially what's going to happen is if you want to protest, you can protest in the locker room. You cannot come out into the field and take a knee. I've heard, and I have to go back into my memory bank, that the players didn't used to come out. Right, that's what I was going to say. Didn't come out to uh, stand at the national anthem. In fact, playing the national anthem was kind of a new thing after 9-11. It was after 9-11 when this became a big theme. And I re- well, and also when the military began sponsoring the sports. But I remember back to 
granted, this may be some of the bigger events like the Super Bowl, but I mean, I remember I'm connecting like the Whitney Houston famous Star Spangled Banner right at the beginning of the Super Bowl. There right. was displays even in the 90s. I mean, are you guys saying that for like everyday games, they took these sorts of displays? Well, I'm saying that I only used to remember the national anthem during bigger events, the Super Bowl, back, like, say, the Tyson fights. When, when you had the big pay-per-view fights, they wouldn't play the national anthem until the main event was happening. Well, I think part of it for football, too, was they never used to televise the national anthem. So, I mean, if depending on how often people actually go in person to the games, you might not even realize it. Right. So they started televising it once it became a big political spectacle. Definitely. And then they also, you know, they made the players come out when historically they never came out for the national anthem. So was like Vince Scully used to come out, give us the, uh, the, the lineup of the pitchers and who's out in the outfield and, uh, all that wonderful jazz, and then he'd bring us right to the action. You know, he'd have five whole minutes for the pregame, and boom, we're in it. We wouldn't spend uh, good. Well, and baseball's still really good. I mean, I have season Dodger tickets. I go to a lot of Dodger games, and I feel like the crowd gets into it. The players get into it. They all have their hats off. They all have their hand over their heart. They're being very respectful. Big games like opening day, they've got a giant flag in the outfield. They have service members holding it. Uh, you know, it encompasses almost the entire outfield. And so, I mean, I think this, this only became a big deal after Colin Kaepernick. I think part of the problem is he wasn't that great. So people have articulated the reason why he's not employed is because of this, when he's probably not employed because he's not great. And I feel like if you had somebody like a Tom Brady who did the same thing, he'd still be employed because he's still great. Right. It makes me, it actually makes me think somebody mentioned the other day and I'd totally forgotten about Michael Sam. Remember? Right. There was all the controversy over the first uh, openly gay NFL player or try to become an NFL player. And it's funny because they use the same thing with that guy, right? Is the only reason teams aren't, going to sign him. I think the Rams signed him to the practice squad, but, but the only reason they're not going to bring him on is they don't want to deal with all that stuff. In many ways, you don't get a call NFL owners, capitalist pigs, and they want to win at all costs and they love the money and then demonstrate that that's, that's why they're not doing something like this. For example, if, if, if actually getting Michael Sam on the team or getting Colin Kaepernick would win, they don't, I don't think they really care about much else. Right. That, Winning a Super Bowl is a very lucrative victory. Well, that's the weight, right? It's like my Tom Brady theory before. How much how much crap will the team take over whatever issue? And does that outweigh, you know, the possibility of getting championships, getting more uh, people in the seats, getting better lucrative TV contracts and sponsorships, right? So you take someone like Colin Kaepernick, is he worth it? Right. Is he good enough to justify the backlash and everything else? And you say, you know what? It's it's not. He's not that great. So why would I sit there and indict well, my entire it, franchise? To that, is it worth it? And I'm going to bring up Adrian Peterson. Right. And we all remember how he beat his wife. They played it on television a million times. It was quite savage. They kicked him out of the league and then they brought him back. And they brought him back, and they paid him oodles of mountains of money. Michael Vick. Michael Vick. 
they were totally okay so long as he paid his debt. And now he's sorry, and he did community service, and they did this, and they did that. So all of a sudden, all is well. And that's because they're worth it to the team. They have some kind of value above other players. They're the tier, the top tier. Right. Let me take it away from the uh, sideline it for the players for a second and, and ask you guys, do you, do you have a problem or do you think that the NFL is able to institute this? I mean, do you think that this, that this will... Are, are, you, are you saying, let's talk about the First Amendment? Well, that's, so, th- so that's exactly what gets floated. Okay. And that's, that's part of the question is, is that a fair thing to bring into this conversation? Let me, let me push the controversial button a little bit. If I came out and said something negative about the Jews or about gay people, or pick a, pick a minority, pick anything. And all of a sudden, I am employed by the NFL. Well, guess what? They're going to come down on me, even though I have the First Amendment right to say whatever dumb thing I want to say. Okay? So if it's detrimental to the league, they have a right to squash that bad press. And that's what it is. It's bad press. And get rid of the problem. Okay. Well, we, we saw that with Roseanne Barr. Right. That show was on top of the ratings and climbing, like at rocket speed. It was one of the first shows in years to kind of uh, to uh, unseat. Um, what, all the other shows? Yeah, no. Um, Big Bang Theory? Yeah, Big Bang Theory. Okay. Man, brain fart. Uh, and that and Last Man Standing got mm. brought back with you know, tons, tons of letters to bring them back. She made a dumb comment. It was perceived a certain way and ABC dropped the show. They could care less. Now some would say, well, maybe that was the excuse they used to drop a show that was doing well, kind of based on a semi conservative undertone, whatever still made money, still was great, doing great, still had sponsorships and they dropped it. And that's essentially, I think, I I think we shouldn't, disregard the fact that last year really affected the NFL's bottom line. People stopped watching. They can attribute to whatever they want. They can attribute to more people watch the games in bars, more people refs calling certain uh, uh, penalties more often than not. Yeah. But the bottom line is a lot of people turned it off. A lot of people stopped buying tickets and a lot of butts weren't in the seats and it affected their bottom line. And that's why they went back to, this new policy. Let me, um, Steve Kerr, head coach of the Golden State Warriors, commented on this situation. He said, this is fake patriotism. There's other things he said, which were pretty stupid, but in and of itself, I'm going to take this little snippet of it, and I'm going to agree on this saying. It is fake patriotism because people are coming out to stand for the national anthem, even though they don't want to. That is fake patriotism. We're forcing them to do this. Forcing them to do this. Now, could they stand in the locker room? Yes, they've given them that option. But you know someone's going to want to take a knee while the cameras are rolling. In fact, they're banking on it. 
I'm sure I'm sure Vegas is going to have odds on this to see who who's oh, going to uh, right. who's going to take the first knee. Well, one of the I listened to a lot of sports radio, especially out of LA, and one of the things they were talking about was if the players really wanted to band together, you could have them just do it one for one and have offsetting penalties. Right? Mm. So each side takes equal number of knees and you've really got no penalty. Now you might still have the fines, but you wouldn't have the penalties. And we've already had a few teams say that they're willing to pay the fines. They don't care, you know, because certain teams are just taking it differently than others. But I thought that was kind of an interesting philosophy. Now, John, if you wouldn't mind queuing up the Trumpster here, uh, Donald Trump uh, decided to weigh in on this uh, event. And let's go ahead and play that clip. Still, I think it's good. You have to stand proudly for the national anthem. Well, you shouldn't be playing. You shouldn't be there. Maybe you shouldn't be in the country. Now, I'm going to have to uh, disagree on Donald Trump. It's not his organization. It's not some kind of rule Absolutely. that he has uh, a right over. He's just angry about something, and that's fine. He gets angry about a lot of things. But it's not a rule that players act like well, it is now, but uh, players do have to stand up for the national anthem. Uh, I, but let's go back to these are millionaires who play a sport. And that's their profession. What a country. What a fantastic country that you could do such a thing. Well, and you don't have a right to do whatever you want in your workplace, right? And I think we talk about First Amendment issues, but this isn't the government regulating or coming down on you. This is your employer. Right. And your employer is your employer. And yeah, you can say whatever you want, but freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of consequence. And we've seen that time again. Yeah, there was um, there's actually a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Nate Boyer. He was on CNN and he talked. He's a former Seattle Seahawk, an ex Green Beret, and he and he's actually a gentleman who apparently talked with Colin Kaepernick uh, early on when all this started. And actually, I have a he says a little bit something about that in terms of uh, people need to realize that you can do that, but you can't be shielded from the consequences. This um, sentiment has turned against taking a knee. It's not necessarily popular with the American people. But is that the common ground, Nate, that Americans could find on the issue? I mean, you know, the one thing about this whole situation is you, you can say all day what, it, what a protest or a demonstration is about, but you don't get to choose how people perceive it, right? So, you know, we have to respect that as well. Right, and so... Right. These players are trying to define the reason why they're trying to do it. They, they don't get to go to everyone and, and, and either specifically convince them or force them to think that the reason why they're doing it is X, Y, Z. We, right, as people who watch it, we, right. we get to overlay however we perceive it. Right. And I think I, I've just been overly confused on what the actual protest <laughs> That's exactly is. where I was going to go with right? it. I, I, is it. Is it police brutality? Is it injustice? What is it? And then why is... Why is the national anthem what we're picking and where we're picking it? All right. I, I don't get to see these players uh, actually pro- do any kind of advocacy outside the NFL. And the reason why they're taking a knee is because people watch. But guess what? I watch football so that I don't have to listen to the politics anymore. 
This is my break. And all of a sudden, here it is in my face again. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm actually curious. I, I don't know the answer to this. Does anybody know if what would be the Nielsen ratings or wh whoever would keep track, maybe of online streaming, if they can tell if, if there is less of a viewership towards the beginning of games or if that trend developed? I'd be curious to know if... Well, you got to take this into a whole business, business spectrum of it. You know, um, all these networks, they, they spend a lot of money so to, to broadcast these, these things. Now, they make, they make money on the advertising that, that goes along with it, but they actually don't make that much. Uh, what they're banking on is they're able to promote other shows while they, so you want to watch, uh, I, I don't know, New, Roseanne, or you want to watch New Bank Theory, or whatever other shows are out there. Uh, they, 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 they get to have that little segment every, uh, every 15 minutes. Hey, coming up on Thursday night, hey, we got a brand new show for you, and boy, is it crazy. So uh, SportsIllustrated.com reported in January that this uh, last season, NFL viewership dropped 9.7% compared to the previous season. And that was coming after an 8% dip in ratings from 15 to 16 season. Uh, so there was a substantial drop both you know, this year and last year. So we're looking at, man, almost a 20% combined drop in the last two seasons. And the biggest thing I can think of from a rule perspective that happened during that time, what is the catch rule, right? There's still that ongoing, but I got a hard time believing that the catch rule <laughs> is what caused yeah, the it. net 20% drop. Well, they've, they've hit against their fan base and who is their fan base. And you can tell who their fan base is based on the advertisements. They're people who drive trucks, people who drink beer, People who need to ask their doctor if they're healthy enough for sex. Those are the kind of people who are watching football and have decided, let's watch something else. I think another element of this to me that's it's worth discussing, kind of interesting, is it also seems like there's some conservative voices that are wanting to point out a little bit of the hypocrisy on the conservative side. Let me. So I think he ran for, for president, David French. Okay. was one of the candidates, right? right? Yes. He wrote a, uh, an op-ed in the New York Times entitled, Conservatives Fail the NFL's Free Speech Test. And in it, he makes the point, he says, quote, the NFL isn't the government. It has the ability to craft the speech rules its owners want. So does Google. So does Mozilla. So does Yale. American citizens can shame whoever they want to shame. And I think it's an interesting point in that the same people that are getting frustrated uh, over issues on campuses, et cetera. I'm not saying it's completely apples to apples, but it's the same people who oftentimes like that the NFL made this sort of edict and squashed something that they don't like. I'm not saying this has an easy explanation to it, but it's, I think it's a valid point. It's, it's an interesting perspective that if we're going to we're going to defend one area in the NFL where we're, I think we're all in agreement that the NFL had the right to institute this. Sure. Where does that end? Where does Google's ability, let's say to institute, what was it in this last week, putting, 
putting someone in a research result that, that had a picture of them saying they were a Nazi or something like that. Right. Yeah. Don't tell me when and where I can bake my cake. <laughs> yeah. Another, that might be next week's. <laughs> yeah. All right. What have we got next on the docket here? Uh, this was an interesting fact. Independent voters now outnumber Republicans in California. The Republicans are now the number three party in the state. Yikes. Okay, so the numbers came out, and it's a 73,000 voter uh, difference. And that might change after, they, um, after this election. They might come out with new numbers and figure out who, um, who re-registered under what, under what thing. So the way it stands right now, it's 4.8 million, uh, no party preference, 4.7 uh, for the Republicans, it's been on a downward slide for quite a while, and we've seen it. We know it. That's why we do the podcast in the first place. Now the Republicans came out and they and they responded and they had their spokesman uh, Matt Fleming, and he said uh, the milestone isn't surprising, uh, but voters have been becoming more and more independent for years. And the Republicans look to do more res- uh, uh, outreach in the future. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a pass. He punted that thing. He, he didn't want to really address the issue. But at the same time, the Democrats didn't really raise their numbers. They they got a little boost, but it wasn't a whole lot. They're 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 number one, but they're at forty four percent. There's. Yeah, I got a lot of thoughts about this one. Uh, the first one of which is, I, I can't help but wonder how much of the percentage, right, of the independent voters and the growing, look, what appear growing percentage, is from people that look at both letters, especially in a state like California, and well, and we saw it nationally, right, even to a degree in the last uh, presidential election. Look at the letters, R&D, and what difference does it make? Right. And so granted, some of those people in the that are counted as independent or truly feel independent and others. I just wonder how many people are looking at that going. Does it really matter what I register as? Well, to that, you're saying it doesn't really matter. And there's a reason why it doesn't really matter. And it's because of our uh, open primary system. If I don't need to register for a political party so that the party can promote a particular candidate, then why bother? There's, there's no need for it. So I'm going to go over there and I'm going to pick from the top two. Well, okay, I'll do that. I, I wonder too if, and this might get super philosophical, but I wonder if it's just part of the general trend of these generations not wanting to commit to anything, not oh, wanting to commit to faith, not wanting to commit to a party, wanting to be able to act without consequence or being put in a box uh, I can be whatever gender I want to be. I can be whatever, uh, have whatever sexual orientation I want to be, and I can flip it on a dime. I can do whatever I want. I wonder if this is part of the, well, I don't want to really commit either way. Almost like to, a rebellious registration. Yeah. I, just the whole, you know, quote unquote freedom. But then I also see the aspect in California of everybody sucks, right? <laughs> I, there, there's, there is no... There has not been any great conservative candidates in a long time, at least for the bigger positions. Well, what 
always happens and we hate it when it happens is that we take a politician who's been in a position for a set number of years and they have some uh, notoriety, some infamy. And we go, okay, you'd be a great candidate to push forward for governor or senator or whatever. And this happens even in the smaller um, seats, the assembly, the, the state senate, uh, even uh, they go from uh, school board to, to whatever, to a supervisor. And we're always pushing them, even though we hate it. We absolutely hate it that these politicians make a career out of it. But we continuously are bringing them up. So from the Republicans, they don't have those people. I mean, they're, they're, they're well, endangered species. Day. Yeah, they're endangered species. So when you say, hey, let's get a famous Republican, we'll have him run for governor. Well, guess what? They don't have a famous Republican. The last famous Republican that we had was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Jonathan was going to say Reagan. I was oh. because well, well, because the Republican label on Schwarzenegger gets yeah kind of iffy. Yeah, I, I don't even. I think Rhino might be too conservative. Right, bit of medicine. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I totally see all the points. I. I think too, it's just not cool to be conservative. It's it's the harder line to take. The whole responsibility, take care of yourself, allowing people to take care of others instead of relying on the government. You're bringing up an interesting point too, and this is probably for a future podcast because it's back back to your comment earlier. It maybe gets a little philosophical, but it also begs the question: How nowadays? How much does Republican equal? conservative. Right. Right. And so, I mean, I understand what you're saying and the point you were making, but, but you were treating them synonymously and that's in the mix here too, right? As someone who says they're Republican, that, that doesn't speak necessarily to. Uh, that's a great point. And, and I think, I think it's lost its connotation a lot. Right. I, I, but then I also think that Republican has gotten a label to it. That's for sure. You know, so I think it makes people apprehensive to also identify with it because they go, well, you know, or, or if they're more moderate on things, then they're like, well, you know, I, I don't believe I want the government to dictate X, Y, Z, but I'm for gay marriage or I'm for abortion or whatever it is. And then they're like, well, I'm a moderate. And right. then it's like, well, I'm an independent then. Right. Cause you're not going to identify one way or the other. Uh, but then maybe if you're uber conservative these days, you identify as libertarian, right? I mean, if you're just totally government out of my life, then I maybe the Republican Party is not really where you want to be either. I have gone door-to-door all over the state, uh, beating down the doors on for whatever candidate and whatever cause that might be in the conservative bracket. And I have found a lot of people... When I knock on their door and it has a little R on the side, they look at me and they go, please don't tell anybody that I'm a Republican. Yep. And the reason why is because Democrats have become vindictive, even dangerous. I mean, we saw in the general election last go around where Democrats would physically harm Trump supporters. 
doesn't mean that you're some kind of Nazi for supporting Trump, but they went out and they mob mentality decided to harm other people. Oh, I, I, I have a, I have a conservative client through my private business and she was referred to me from a friend of mine who belongs to a conservative club. And we talked and of course we had to deal with kind of some of her vendors and it was always, um, just don't tell them about that other stuff we talk about in emails, you know, but we'll email back and forth about some current events as well as work things. And it's, yeah, just don't mention to people about that connection because it could negatively affect my business. And it's, it's sad that it's almost like a, a secret society. You know, I read a great, uh, in an article this week, someone, they made the point that, and I think the quote is often attributed to Voltaire, but although there's debate about that, but, but it's the old quote and I haven't heard it in a while, but it says, I disagree with what you say, but I defend your right to say it. And that has since morphed into, I disagree with what you say. So shut up. Right. We, we, we no longer can agree to disagree. Right. Well, and it's part of the whole tribalism labels, um, the kind of group think type stuff. And, and Jordan Peterson makes this point and he gets a lot of backlash from it because people can't comprehend the philosophy of what he's saying. They just zone out on millions of people dying, but he talks about how the utterances of the liberal people is the same as Maoist China or as the Soviet Russia era, that the utterances are the same. It's placing people into very specific categories, then playing them off each other. And what you get is a million people dead, millions of people's dead. And his, when he says that to people, they come at him like, oh, are you saying liberals are going to kill millions of people? And he's like, well, there's not a whole lot of difference between their utterances today and what was being spoken back then. It's, you don't, you don't, you're not the individual, you belong to a group you're Hispanic or you're black or you're white and that we get into the whole proletariat and the bourgeoisie. There's always an oppressor and the oppressed and trying to always create this servant master role or configuration. And you have to have Jonathan, you are a victim. And so that means there must be somebody oppressing over you. And that that's what it is. It's the white capitalist male is the oppressor. And that's what society has become. A question for you back on uh, specifically to the, the numbers that came out with the voter registration. Do you guys know how it's working? The automatic registration now, right? When you get like a driver's license application, what party, how does that work? Right. You're, Is you're that a Democrat? Unless you, you <laughs> vote it, you mail in unless you say otherwise, no, but, yeah, but, you but, need three yeah. people to vouch. And... <laughs> but in all seriousness, is that adding well, to this increasing you know, number of independents? You, you have to write down what political party. Okay. I mean, it's all, it's a bubble. It's, it's a little circular bubble that you have to write in and say, but I don't know. But it's automatically, I mean, right? When I apply for a driver's license or I register now for a driver's license, I'm automatically, quote unquote, registered to vote, right? I, I'm just curious because it, you, you've got me there. No, I, no, but it would, I, I'm just wondering what that process looks like. And is that adding to? Well, it, you couldn't say, or oh, I'm going to automatically 
register you under a particular party, even if that party was a minority. Or that majority. would make sense, right? Right. So maybe they're automatically putting you under no party preference to begin with. See, that's what I'm. Yeah. That's what does I'm that, yeah. Does that add into it? Maybe that's something we're gonna have to fact check because I don't have the answer for that. Because I read, uh, what was it, on ABC News, there, there was an article on their website entitled, Independent Voters Now Outnumber Republicans in California. Mm-hmm. So it was talking about the same thing. And Padilla, um, I guess they were interviewing a Democrat, and he said, um, the new automatic voter registration through Department of Motor Vehicles is part of the reason for why he characterizes a high registration rate. And apparently uh, more than 19 million Californians now are registered uh, which is about three quarters of the eligible voter population. So there's a distinct link, right? That they're that yeah. they're connecting with why there's such a high registration now in this automatic, right? And uh, on thinkprogress.org, they published an article on March 1st of this year that uh, Governor Jerry Brown signed into law legislation that will automatically pre-register all 16 and 17 year olds to vote when they receive a California driver's license or state identification there you card. Go. The law is the largest voter registration expansion. Uh, and then when they turn 18, they'll already be in the system. Uh, and then it's, as it currently stands, California law, the DMV, has an opt-in process for voter registration. But as of January 1, 2019, all teens will automatically be Well, I, I argue on the constitution, constitutionality of that. If it's an opt-in, then it's fine. Right. But if it's a mandatory that I have to register to vote, no, I don't. I don't see how that is constitutionally right. It, but but they would rephrase it. I think right. It's an option. You well, have no, no, the ability to. What you to just now. read was that they're gonna do it anyway. Sixteen, seventeen-year-olds. Whenever you do government paperwork, they're just gonna put you in right away. Right, but you still technically don't have to go and fill out your absentee ballot or go to the box when you're 18. Right. I mean, I'm not necessarily defending it. I'm just clarifying. Right. There's still no ultimate force to, to vote for somebody in an election. How can you pre-register to vote if you're not 18? Yeah, no, I have no clue. That's like, I'm going to buy a bottle of alcohol at 20 and hold it until I turn 21. Layaway voting. (laughs) Right. I that seems weird to me because like you can't go pre-register for your license before you're of the age to get your permit. Like you can't you can't just sign up ahead of time. You're either legally able to do something or not. Are they are they going to automatically fill out my mortgage uh, application while I'm at there? You know, yeah. Can I lock if, if it's a really low interest rate environment and I'm like 16, can I lock in? the interest rate that I'll pay for my home when I'm 30. You can, you just got to pay rate locks every two weeks and tell you. No, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to do it like they're doing with the voter registration. Right. Exactly. Now that I, that was a new concept to me until you guys brought it up. That's interesting. But it's, I want to go back to this two party, uh, the top two system. And even Gavin Newsom, the devil himself, he came out of here and he does not want to have to have a general election against Tony VR. Yeah, I think there's no question there's a gamesmanship uh, game oh, theory. I, element I think it's it's just this. strategy to get the top two locked in on a Democrat and then 
the party could actually care less who gets governor, but as long as they have a puppet in there, they'll be good to go. Sure. I mean, their puppet is Gavin. Right. And I, I wonder too, if there was a disservice done by the president endorsing anybody or by the president endorsing a Republican candidate when, for instance, in our own county, that was not the same candidate endorsed. And now do you split whatever Republicans were going to vote right. instead of because I think you needed to concentrate everybody on one person. If anything, the president showed us that polls don't matter, but I'm going to have to fall back upon them. Uh, Cox and Allen were neck and neck. Despite whatever poll we were looking at, they were within the margin of error. And as soon as Donald Trump came down with his endorsement, boom, Cox is way ahead. So it mattered. It mattered a lot. And for the Republicans, that matters a whole lot, too, because it, it looks as though they'll have somebody to face Gavin Newsom in the general election. Good for them. But on the flip side, had Tony Villar decided to uh, had enough percentage so that it was a Democrat on Democrat, the Democratic Party would have had to spend needless amounts of money to promote each candidate to make it look as though this was a fair competition. Otherwise, you get into a Hillary Bernie kind of thing, uh -huh. right? Yeah. It was like, hey, vote for this Bolshevik or... <laughs> Or this chocolate guy, and uh, whatever you can just uh, pick your poison. It doesn't matter which one. The Democrat Party is in command, right? And if anything, it gives zero chance to the fringe parties. You know, you're hoping to get a Republican on the ticket if you're a Republican, and if you are any of the other ones—peace and freedom, libertarian, green, whatever—good luck. Impossible. Yeah. Will Impossible. never happen. So it's not even about uh, D versus R. It's really, you need all the other parties. They should kind of form a coalition and work to get that repealed because it affects everybody. It's not just Democrats versus Republicans. If you have any kind of other party you'd like to get in there, it's impossible. To your point, Bobby, it, you know more about this. Is it fair to say that the Democratic Party wants to repeal this? They do. Yeah. Actually, they do. And the Green Party, they're all bored, too, because they're the ones who are suffering, too. Uh, you got uh, libertarians who, of course, want to jump into the mix. Uh, they want to promote their candidates. They felt, you know, the last general election for the presidency, of course, they promoted someone who didn't do so well. But um, they, they want to have their candidates in every single election across the board. And sometimes they might steal some votes from here and there, but they at least want to be in the mix. They want to have their own party system, which is what it's supposed to be, party system, and then thrust their candidates forward. Yeah, and I also see, I guess I see the need for some kind of primary because if you took 30-some-odd candidates for governor, to the general election, you might have way too many votes spread way too thin, but you might also get more of a valid statistic of what people are looking for. I guess, you know, if you had, say, two Democrats run, and that's what it was, there's really no way to get kind of a valid stat on what the state 
kind of composition is or the appetite for candidates. If you had a bunch of people running, even if you just had, you know, it ended up with not getting enough to, for any particular candidate to win, you'd at least see there's some kind of spread and some kind of appetite for more, more choice, but there's no way you'd get that. And you just won't get a lot of people, as many people showing up for our primaries as you will the generals. You know, we're talking about generals in an off year. So now you're, you're even more screwed on that. Well, traditionally primaries in an off year are very low voter turnout. Yeah. Uh, so who, who are these people who are going to vote for whatever candidate that you uh, have going on in your neck of the woods? We're, we're talking about like less than half, less than half of the registered voters. I remember way back when I was doing some campaigning, I was walking door to door, something about water. I forgot, maybe it was the water bond. And I had a cousin of mine walking with me and we'd go to one house, knock on the door, give the pamphlet. And then we'd walk a couple houses down and do the same thing and repeat the process. So then he asked me, why don't we stop at every single door and hand out the pamphlets? And I go, well, we're only stopping at the places that are registered to vote. So we have a whole bunch of people in this country, in the state, wherever, who just have checked out. They don't care. Whoever's in charge, same people, doesn't matter. Uh, they, they, they can't be bothered to vote. Or another factor now, like we talked about, do they know that they're registered to vote? Right? Are they going to know that if they registered for their license or whatever, that magically they've been registered. Yeah. And I wonder, um, cause it says driver's license or identification card and you can get an ID without being a citizen. So I wonder if there's an underlying, you can get a driver's license without being a citizen uh, in California. Take that yeah. back. Yeah. So I wonder if part of that is the trend to get certain people on the voting in the voting book you know, or in the register. Well, it, it voter registration and, um, and having people who shouldn't be voting is, is, is a major cause for concern. And we don't know who exactly is voting. It's, it's very easy to do voter fraud in this state. It's amazing, but we're going to have to drop it here and we'll let's uh, move on to the next segment. The final segment the border wall. The wall. It's glorious. It's huge. Who's paying for this segment? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Well, I read an article. Uh, where was it? Oh, I think it was actually on Reddit. There was a candidate running for, uh, I think, the mayoral race in San Diego. And one of the things that he was, uh, I think it was uh, an AMA on Reddit. He was asking people to vote for him and to elect him because San Diego has spent millions on the border wall because of Trump. And then people started identifying that you didn't spend millions of dollars. He, he claimed they spent like $4 million on the wall, but they hadn't. Um, and he was also using it as a, the more money that San Diego has to spend on the wall, the less money they can fund, you know, public safety cops and firefighters. There is a definite disconnect between the counties that lie to the south and the counties that lie to the north where there's an obvious problem that that 
is presented to the people in in the southern part of California. Oh yeah, and and I would say probably even El Centro more than San Diego. Sure. You know, uh, there's there's a big problem in general. Uh, my sister is a an emergency room physician down in San Diego, and they have a big problem. And I didn't know this till she started working down there of ambulances from Mexico taking critical patients and just dropping them at the border because they know they'll get care here major problem in el centro uh people on life support people on ambulances uh if they have a major trauma we usually you know they would get taken to a trauma center but they just take them to the border and say help we need help and so i I, there's a lot of disconnects i think between those who live in at the southern half and everybody else uh, especially when you get like into the bay you know this is more than an issue of Oh, you don't like Mexicans or you don't like, this is like not even close to that. It is, you don't understand what is going on at the Southern half of the state, both in violence and in everybody else. It just comes through the desert. I remember a story from a family member. He was working in an auto shop, which happened to be right on the border. And when I mean right on the border, I mean, if you hopped over, you'd be in Mexico technically. And, the border patrol actually had uh, cameras installed inside the building along the corridor to see if anyone had jumped the fence to come into America. And my family member, he decided, you know, he's, he's down for the rasa. He's going to help these people. And when one comes over, he's, he, he had one in, in the closet. And when the border patrol said, Hey, you know, we saw this guy jump over. Do you know where he went? And he, he my, my family, he just said, like, oh, yeah, he ran out the door and he's gone. Well, this scenario kept happening. Happened a couple times a day, all the time. And he got, he, he, he opened his eyes and he went, this is a problem. This isn't something that was cute and, and I'm helping this is a serious issue and we need to really be responsible about this whole border wall. Well, you get two choices. You can either be a welfare state or you can have open borders, but you can't have both. You know, there's just not enough money to support it. Like fundamentally not enough money to support it. Right. I mean, I think everybody, I don't care what side of the spectrum on the issue you're on. The the whole notion of some sort of vetting or some sort of uh, examination from a security, right, from a threat perspective. I mean, the person with a with a briefcase of a dirty bomb walking across. Okay, I think everybody, I think, in the whole spectrum would say that's pro- so. probably not the best of ideas. Okay. But then I think you're right, Louis, to that point. You then start breaking it down into, well, what is the fundamental issue, right, with, let, let's just, I understand I'm painting a broad stroke, but let's lump everybody into one category that says, we need a wall, we need to stop illegal immigration. And I, I tend to think the central, central issue is because it's a supply-demand thing, right? From a jobs perspective, from a work perspective, more labor supply, all of that, that's fantastic. 
but there are only so many, and this is obviously, this is very debatable depending on where you are on the political spectrum, but, but resources are finite. Um, there is scarcity of goods and services. And so depending on the demand of those goods and services, you have to call it somewhere. I mean, there's, we, we don't, we can look at the 20 trillion in debt we have, not that all that's caused by this, but there's only so many resources. You have to be able to put a price on, for example, a hospital visit, right? right. Those can't happen into infinity for the world. I mean, granted, there's the part in each of our hearts that that would be awesome, but unfortunately, that's just not the way an economy can, can work. Well, an illegal immigration only works as long as it's illegal. Right. Because what makes it, you know, people will say, it's the illegal immigrants that are taking the jobs that Americans don't want. They're the ones, especially, God, in our neck of the woods, picking strawberries and all the ag. That only works as long as it's illegal. Because once everybody's legal... It's now no longer pennies on the dollar to sure. pick strawberries. It's $15 minimum wage. And then now it's a major problem. And it's, so it's an interesting dichotomy because illegal immigration benefits as long as it's illegal. Sure. Speaking uh, of which, uh, I wanted to kind of put the emphasis on why they're leaving. They're leaving other countries because of their economies. They obviously don't have the work, but it's more than that. And this isn't just Mexicans coming over. No. This is a lot of people funneling through Mexico. No. I, we can take a look at Venezuela for, for an example. When Venezuela decided to go full communism, full socialism, a whole bunch of Colombians legally asked to come here and do the paperwork, and they were hoping that President Obama would open up uh, the legal right for them to come. Similar to, you know, communist takeovers of other countries, like, say, Vietnam or, or something like that. You know, they, they wanted to do it the right way, but they had a problem. And you can see it now today, it all fell apart. They don't want to live like that. The, the affluent people of that country saw this problem way ahead of time. We're talking, like, Six years ago, they were they were begging to come over here legally. They said, "Give us the paperwork. We'll sign whatever you want, and 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 we'll pay taxes, and, and we'll and we'll go to the universities, and we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll wave the flag, and we'll we'll, we'll all be happy, and you can you can background check us and everything." But Obama decided that that he didn't want that. He wanted a more diverse pool of of people, especially. Uh, people who agreed upon his ideology, not people who were running away from his ideology. That's an interesting point. It's also interesting to me too that, you know, as we think about the, the, the issue of immigration, I don't know about you guys, but you oftentimes hear people evoke the, the, the glory days of the past. We're a nation of immigrants. People came to Ellis Island. We opened them. We, we opened our country with, or, or opened our arms to them, welcomed anybody. I went to history.com, which I don't, I think people would agree is not overtly political, though it might have some sort of political bias, but in general, it's not meant to be a political site. And I started pulling some interesting stats and what was being implemented at certain times at, at, at Ellis Island 
throughout the immigration process. So between 1903 and 1910, there was a a daily high of over 11,000 immigrants were received at Ellis Island. In a single year, they reached a million immigrants. During that period, 1903 to 1910, there was a federal law passed that excluded persons with physical and mental disabilities as well as children arriving with adults. So again, this is during the glory years of Ellis Island and come one, come all. Between 1911 and 1919, those over the age of 16 who could not read 30 to 40 test words in their native language were no longer admitted. And nearly all Asian immigrants were banned at the time. Between 1920 and 1935, they had an emergency quota act. The annual immigration from any country cannot exceed 3% of the total number of U.S. immigrants from the same country. So I read that to just suggest, again, I'm not saying all those policies were good, great, bad, and different. However, we need to get facts straight when we talk about, well, everything we do today with immigration is horrible because everything we used to do when we, when we had Ellis Island and people were coming over, that was fantastic. It's not, it's, it's, it's not apples to apples. Well, and my grandparents came over through Ellis Island. Um, the government screwed up their last name. And so, and they just kept it because they were so happy to be here. They didn't want to cause any problems or ruffle any feathers, but I know that they had to meet a lot of those requirements. They also had to show that they had, you know, like six months of money to survive here that, you know, kind of guaranteed they weren't going to live off the government. But there was also a different feel to it, too. My grandparents would never take any government aid. Like, they'd they'd assume just live on the street before they ever took a dime from the government. And then they came here and they started a business that became very profitable and they did very well. But they came here from the Middle East. They didn't have anything. They made their kids speak English. Uh, There was a lot of, we want to be American and we want to embody everything that is the American way. Not so much we want to come here and make you guys be Middle Eastern. You know, there wasn't that. It was just a different mindset, you know? Yeah, I think you were were alluding to it earlier. It's where where the difficulty is, is pulling apart in the area of, what the constitution stands for and guaranteeing someone the rights that are in the constitution, which in many ways I think it'd be fair as you suggested to interpret, well, no borders necessary. No, no border wall is necessary because they're simply guaranteed the pursuit of happiness and life and Liberty. Right. But that has gotten tweaked. Well, if you, man, just take a look at Europe. Europe is a great example of what open borders get you. And, the amount of the amount of control they don't have. I mean, even even if you look at you know, we'll call them a first world country like the UK, major problem. There are entire uh, France par- major problems. There are parts of Paris where law enforcement won't even go because it's too dangerous and it's not worth it. Well, they have a a, a matter of control at say the ports of entry, the, the legal ports of entry, we're talking airports, uh, seaports and train depots and what have you, where you can have a controlled environment where you can stop somebody and go, do you have a visa? Uh, is that an apple in your pocket? Did you forget to unwrap it? Uh, but when you have a whole system of people going over, uh, 
non-ports of entry like they have in, in Europe, it becomes a real problem. You can't, it's hard to police that kind of thing. Right, because you just hop on a train just, and there you are. Well, no, no, I mean, you hop on the, driver road or, on, on the boats for them. Right, yeah. Yeah, so it, it kind of goes into uh, here in, in America, if we were to just simply have an open borders policy, which is what Tony Villar is advocating for, because I can't see any other thing that he's advocating for in, in the clip, but he's going to, he wants to open it up to everybody. So, John, why don't you play that thing here? This is his. When people ask why I'm running for governor, I wish I could show all of them this video. This mother was ripped away from her children by Donald Trump's immigration control. Wow. It's pretty, that's pretty bad. I was almost going to tell you to pause it. And I'm glad it just ended. When I it stopped ended. it right there. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's hear it one more time. When people ask why I'm running for governor, I wish I could show all of them this video. This mother was ripped away from her children by Donald Trump's immigration control. Trump did it. I want you to know that that never happened in the Obama years at all. But they boasted that he he turned away more people at the border than anybody ever. That that yeah. he de- or I should say no, that, no, that, the, that he versus, deported versus more, like the Bush administration. Right. They right. Ca- they called him the deporter in chief. Exactly. Back in the day. But a lot of those numbers were if we're going to play it both ways were inflated because he counted everybody that was turned around at the border as a deportation. Well, I want to bring up there was a, a photo that went viral and I showed it to you guys earlier, but there was two children at the immigration station and they were behind a cage sleeping on the ground. And this thing went viral real quick and everybody was complaining. Look what Trump's doing. Look what Trump's doing. And then suddenly, oh wait, uh, that was from 2014. That was oops pre-Trump. And that no, was still his fault. Still his fault. He can time travel. Yeah, and I, I'm not the biggest supporter of everything Trump, but I don't think that he's the Antichrist, and I don't think that. Uh, I think it's too convenient of a scapegoat to just place everything on him. And that's what it's become. Everything bad in government, Trump's fault, Trump's fault, even stuff that didn't involve him. And listening to Villagrosa is, he was an awful mayor of Los Angeles. And he, I don't know. I got to see his leadership living in the city of LA. And I don't think his uh, governorship would be much better. Well, with that, let's, um, Let's switch to our last and final topic that we always bring you, the James Woods Tweet of the Week. So, on May 26, 2018, in the evening, James Woods responded to a Hillary Clinton Clinton tweet. Let me read you Hillary Clinton's tweet. Quote, right now, we are living through a crisis in our democracy. I say this not as a Democrat who lost an election, but an American afraid of losing a country. James Woods says... And a grifter afraid of losing a con game. Hashtag Clinton Foundation. <laughs> what happened to the Clinton Foundation? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I heard it folded. That's weird. I think some donations dried up. I'm not sure. He, he sticks it to the Clintons pretty hard. And I think it's funny that they try to volley with him. And it's, it's always a miserable fail here. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be at any of their fundraisers no. anytime soon. 
And on that note, anything else, guys? That's it. We'll see you next week. Awesome. See you all next week. Thanks.